Welcome to A Question of Code. So what have you been up to this week then? I have spent some spare time that I finally got working on my website because it's January and that seems like the cool thing to do this time of year. Is are you, are you noticing a trend? Do people do people do that? Is that a thing? I don't know. I just saw about I saw about four. I saw you did it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw, <laughs> Uh, I, I saw about four or five other people on Twitter say I've, I've revamped my website. So I thought I'm going to join those people because I have not looked at my website since before I got a job. And going back, I realized I'd done a lot of things very stupidly. I found it a lot quicker to develop it now that I've got that new experience, which was good. So have you, is, it, is this a complete rebuild? Is this a, a refactor? What, what is it? Uh, it's a, a, a point update. A patch, I suppose, just a, a visual refresh and just make things look more professional, I suppose, I think. And also a bit more human, like the about page. I spent a bit of time making that. I, I, don't, I don't want to say funny. I thought it was funny, but I, I think I was drinking at the time. Ah, uh, OK. I haven't read that yet. I've got that to look forward to. <laughs> no, it looks promising. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I spent a bit of time doing that and... Also in the back of my mind, I've been. I know we talked about it ages ago, in back in episode twenty-four. Um, should you write about what you've learnt? I I'm sure I said in that episode I'm going to go away now and write a blog post, but I didn't obviously because <laughs> my last one is from about a year ago, uh, eleven and a half, eleven months since I've actually done the thing. But I was thinking recently about writing a blog post about something I'm learning about work. So I've been making some notes, but. That will be happening at some point. If you're interested in Dbus, 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 it's a Linux thing. Ah, well, that's good. It's good that you've got the incentive to to do it, and you've actually got things that you feel you can you can write about. Yes. Now I've got the website. It's actually quite. I find it easier to kind of just hop in and change little bits. Um, I think it was the first when I first did it. That was the toughest part. So what were you? It was hard to add new content. It was, what you're saying yeah i didn't really have a structure around what i was doing i kind of just i had to write everything out from ha- hand basically it was all kind of just one html page and i just add stuff onto it <laughs> and i can I, I was like looking at all these other blogs going how do they do it how do they get these they've got all these different articles and then you click on it and they go to that article that must have spent they must have spent hours doing that ah so you were doing uh, old school vanilla html Pro- proper proper web development HTML, CSS, nothing else. I think that's yeah. that's how everyone should <laughs> how everyone should start. I would recommend doing it that way. Um. <laughs> I um I did like copy and paste bits from other websites, but I think everyone does that as well. So. Yep, you're not alone there at all. Yeah, and then um I rebuilt my website again, so it started as this probably copied and pasted thing that I wasn't that happy with. Um, didn't wasn't really me. It's kind of essentially someone else's website that I just stuck my face on and changed the words, of course. And I thought, you can blog using WordPress and you could make a Squarespace website. But um, I didn't really want to do that. I always found they, they always look a little bit, I don't know, not quite right. Well, I don't know. I, I think I can understand something off the shelf like Squarespace not looking how you want or going down the medium route and everything is set for you so you don't have any customization at all on how it looks. Um, but WordPress is, you know, it comes in different flavors and some of it can be, if you are suitably inclined tailor it to your own needs <laughs> i think the thing i didn't like about wordpress was not having my own domain name which i now realize you can actually do so that's not a problem so we're talking about wordpress.com and here yeah i i that's the only wordpress i know i ah, think so you haven't you haven't <laughs> played around with wordpress.org at all 
Uh, no, I did. No. No. Okay. So that's a thing that you download and you host yourself and you have complete control over everything and you build your own themes for that. You can you can use other people's themes, but you basically build your own is the way. That's powerful. So I've started off on WordPress.com in 2008 and my, my first blog, I think. And then over the years, like tinkering, um, and my first sort of professional jobs were as a WordPress developer working on WordPress.org sites. Well, sites built using WordPress as a, a framework, essentially, for, for blogging. Because um, it comes with the admin dashboard sort of out of the box. You don't have to worry about any of that. All you have to worry about, really, is the the layout and the, the page templates. So for an aspiring front-end developer, it's actually a pretty good place to start if you don't mind getting your fingers dirty with PHP. This uh, So much is locking into place. You know, I had no idea that WordPress.org was a thing. Uh, I just assumed when you talked about your job used used to be in WordPress, I thought you were going on WordPress.com and you know the kind of you can change your theme on there. I thought that's what you were doing. No, <laughs> you know, like no, people no, sell no. them for like ten pounds or something. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that's what you were doing. No, ah. no. So basically you you're just using I mean, at the very end of it, we were just using WordPress as kind of a headless CMS. Like you aware familiar with CMS as a bit of terminology? A content management system, yes, which controls all your internet website thingies. Yeah, so you give, um, a, so you have a client who Joe blogs who makes widgets, and he wants a website. He gets an, a login to his content management system, where he can create pages with a kind of a WYSIWYG editor and store his stuff and see all the things he wants to change there. Um, so if he's right, if he's writing a blog, he will go there and it'll kind of look like a I know a word processor that he's familiar with and he can type his piece there and hit save and then that creates a page on the website in the background very good yeah uh, so is that like um we talked about before there's the django one wagtail is that a cms yes i think it's i've i've not i don't i'm not massively familiar but the, from what i've heard it's the same kind of deal yep and there's magento for doing like crazy e-commerce stuff um you can get down like more focused routes and do like something like shopify which is even even better for e-commercey things um and what else oh there's loads drupal Ugh, hate that um basically none of them are very nice they're all pretty horrible um <laughs> apart from perch per- perch is lovely perch is really nice um grab a perch.com if you're interested in that if that's still going that was really fun um well basically they're ways to take away like separate the content that a client wants to have on their website from the actual code that makes that into the nuts and bolts of a website. So no one wants to be writing HTML like you were doing and writing out heading tags and paragraph tags and links manually. People don't. You just told me to do that. You just I know, said I no, said, one said, yeah, no one said, wants to. Yeah. No one wants to. I didn't want to, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> the, people that, the people that want to do that are, I think that's the way of determining who is going to be a developer or not. People who find that fun. <laughs> if you like that to start with, then yeah, you're, you're probably in the right it's probably good for you to go deeper and learn learn more um and so that's the place to start um when as a developer you're the bit you're, your responsibility is the bit in between the bit where the, the client writes the content the end user sees a website you bridge the gap so we're kind of as usual skirting around the question <laughs> this is kind of something that i've been thinking about now now that i know how to build a fairly simple website um, quite easily. It's actually a lot easier than I thought it was when I first started out. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about how you build a blog. 
so it's all very well going oh you can go off and blog I guess if you want to be in the, the tech industry, if you're trying to show yourself off, you don't have to use, use WordPress.com, for example. Um, you want something that looks professional and is looks like, well, hopefully that you've built yourself as to show your experience front and center. It's your calling card, isn't it? It's going to be your showcase to the world. Yeah, you don't want to have a portfolio of stuff and then you that stuff's all built by you, but you've not actually built your own website. But I, I think people would be a bit confused by that. Um, so... We've talked about a few of these things. You can kind of, these days, uh, if you've listened to a podcast in the last five years, you have probably heard of Squarespace. I've never used it, but it sounds like you go along, you sign up, and then you kind of, you build a website yourself, but it's not like you don't have to code anything. You can kind of just drag things around the screen. Uh, a WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get as a kind of way of building a website. And you, you pay for that as well. Um, I don't know how much it is. Do you know? Uh, is it like £25 a month or something like that? Twenty. That's a lot. Not if you're running an e-commerce site on it. I think some people do. I think for, for a business case, it makes sense. Okay, um, but just for your personal blog, for example, it might be a bit over the top or cost too much. And also if you're a developer, the code that these kind of WYSIWYG things produce is gross. So if you're optimizing for performance and accessibility and a whole load of range of things, then these kind of automatic builders are yeah, they're doing some clever things but they're also doing some really horrible things so <laughs> yeah um i saw on twitter some someone the other day saying that they they were they were looking at the code of one of these square squarespace website and the head was about two thousand lines long before you even got to the body of the document and it wow. was all in, <laughs> it was all injected javascript and inline stuff i mean some nothing wrong with inlining things and i think all those scripts were deferred as well so it wasn't like super bad for performance but it's not great um and it's just like the robots do weird things when they build websites i think the human touch is useful at a certain <laughs> at a certain stage um yeah and the the important thing is that for people in our position we, yeah, we've really said it's going to be our, it might be our portfolio it's going to be a, a showcase a calling card for us we want it to be as nice as it can be and it's a good place to completely understand the ecosystem and be able to just drop in and experiment and make new changes it should be a kind of danger free zone for learning and testing things out yeah i definitely learned a lot building my own website um but that's helped me out with lots of other things if you're thinking about doing it i would suggest building your own one as opposed to going to one of these off-the-shelf so-called options yeah so yeah with, with the the off-the-shelf ones dismissed um what did you, what did you use for the my current one yeah and i suppose we should say what did you use i'm, I'm assuming We've talked about your first draft being hand-rolled and entirely coded by you, but it sounds, from what I'm hearing, you've used some kind of framework, some kind of builder, some kind of system, some tool to put this together that makes things easier. Yes, so there are these things called website generators um, that kind of do all the hard work for you. You kind of you would write a few posts and then it would go away and make all the different like html pages for you and the css and stuff like that to an extent so this the one i used is it's a static site generator which means like nothing nothing changes on the website um because I, all my personal portfolio website blog thing is is just some posts um and a little bit about me and some links to stuff i've done that is that's all it is there's nothing there's no like interaction per se between the reader and the website so i can do something that is we call it static which means 
there is no no dynamic things happening. So you have dynamic websites such as ones I've built in Flask and Django and like Vue uh, is the JavaScript version of that. We talked about these things before, um, but a static site generator is one that you kind of just give some like basically you give it a few text files with your articles in, and then it goes away and builds uh, all the other craft around the edge for you. So there's nothing happening server side when a user looks at the website or no. all the other, all their, all their downloading is static files from a, from a server somewhere. Yeah. I think all they download is HTML and CSS. Yeah. Like and, I started out. Well, yeah. yeah. And JavaScript if you want, but it's, it is an, a, it's kind of an enhancement of what you were doing before. So what I see as a visitor to your website, what the files that I'm downloading are, could in theory, you could have handwritten them all. It's, there's no difference in my consumption than what you were doing before. Yeah. yeah. But what you what you have, you have a static site generator, an SSG in the middle that makes your life easier building those because oh, we should probably outline what the problems are for people who haven't gone through this process before. But basically, you've, you've got, your website is a blog, really, isn't it? It's a series of articles and a few pages. Yes. So if I did this myself, um, well, so on my blog, I have, you can go and look yourself, uh, edthecoder.dev. Um, the main page is the blog. So there's uh, the, uh, the four articles I've ever done. Um, they're in a list um, and it kind of shows little, the title, the date that it was done, and then like a short little summary of the article. And if you click on the article, then it goes, takes you through to another page. So at the top now, it says edthecoder.dev forward slash first dash year dash coding dot HTML. So that's a whole nother HTML file. Now, if I hadn't used the static site generator, I'd have to go and make that myself as well as adding it to my homepage. So every time I wrote an article, I'd have to add it to the homepage. I'd have to create the link to this new page that I'd need to make. I'd need to make the, the page with the article on. I'd need to check that I got all the styling and stuff right for each of those different articles so they all look the same. I have to, if I linked to that from anywhere else, I'd have to make sure that those links get changed later on. So what static site generator, it kind of does all that stuff for me. So all I need to do is now, if I want to do a new blog post today, right now, I can just go one markdown file. I just write the title at the top and some little bits of information. I just write all my words, press go, and then I run the static site generator. It does all that for me. It will add the new posts to my homepage. It will create the page for it so that when you click on it, it will go to the correct place. So it kind of, it makes it makes life so much easier when blogging. And I wish I'd known about it a long time ago because now I understand how people have their own blogs. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> the static site generators are relatively new. I think I first came across them maybe in 2013, I think. I came across Jekyll. That was my first introduction to the world of it um i think people have been hand coding html files since like the 90s but in between there's been a lot of like wordpress.com and blogger and various things where people will log into a service and people who everyone who's had blogs hasn't worked out how to use a static site generator because generally there's there is a bit of a barrier to entry in that i don't know of any that don't that don't rely on the command line for instance to build and run Mm. I think there aren't any kind of GUIs for this kind of stuff. Yeah, I suppose as a de- as a developer, that's kind of that come that's something you would hopefully want to be interested in and want to take the time to do. So I suppose maybe yes, it's bent more towards um, people that are familiar with computers in the like command line coding sense. Yeah, I think there are hundreds and thousands of bloggers out there who don't know any code at all, and there are lots of I think developers who blog. I imagine. <laughs> It wouldn't surprise me if, in the uh, as time progresses, every single one of them is using a static site generator because it's just 
a really nice way to work. But your and um, when we talk about Markdown specifically, Markdown is a, a markup language, but it's style agnostic. So you're just marking up what you want to be a link, what you want to be a heading, and what you want to be text. You you don't care how it looks. That then gets passed into your static site generator, which will feed that data, that raw data, into a template file. Um, and I think the, what temp, what kind of templating engine you use depends on the static site generator. There's lots of different options. Um, and in fact, it doesn't necessarily depend on the generator you use. I use a generator called Eleventy, um, and that lets me choose between lots of different templating. I can use Liquid, I can use Nunchucks, I can use all sorts of different things, different templating languages. Um, but hmm. it takes the content, puts it into a series of templates you've defined beforehand. So you you were talking about your your header and the navigation bar. You've kind of written the code for that in a, in an abstraction in your template without any content in it, and then the static site generator populates that. Kind of like people who are used to building like websites with PHP or Node or something, it's doing all of that stuff for you. But what the important step is that that happens before you even send these files up to a server. This happens all on your own computer, and it happens once. Because in the old tradition, if someone loads a WordPress site on their website on their computer, they are not just receiving flat files from the server. They're actually talking to the server. The server is going, "Oh, you want this page? I'm going to get the data. I'm going to get the template. I'm going to put them together, and then I'm going to give it to you." So a static site generator skips that st- step entirely, which means that static sites are really, really fast. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, I, I don't think my site was particularly slow because um, there's not really that much not much going on there but if you had something that was a bit more that was a bit bigger and there was a lot more going on then i then i imagine you would really see those performance benefits and just in terms of using it if you were if it was built in wordpress for instance um like you had a custom wordpress theme every time you load the page it's going to be milliseconds slower than a static site because it has to do that compilation for you do people notice milliseconds tom uh some people do uh you get over 60 milliseconds in an interaction and you start to break that. That's like when you lose, users start to... That's when animations become janky and you notice the performance degradation. And also what we're thinking of as milliseconds on our broadband connections on our super fast machines with multiple cores, you put that onto an older machine on a bad, bad 3G connection and suddenly those milliseconds turn into actual seconds, if not minutes. So if you've got a really slow slow website, that's going to be slow for a lot of people. And anyway, it was a, a little bit of a rhetorical question because um, I heard about this on a podcast recently, but I've just Googled it. Uh, so 10 years ago, Amazon found that every 100 milliseconds of latency costs them 1% in sales. And 1% might not sound a lot, but this is Amazon. They do quite a lot of business. So even just 100 milliseconds has quite a big impact. Yeah, performance is a real deal. I kind of briefly talked about this, but why might I not want to use a static site generator? Uh, if you're doing anything, like you say, dynamic. So if there's authentication, for instance, if you've got users that need to log in, you want to store, you want, you want a database for anything at all. <laughs> any, any content that is going to be updated by, so you want to, like if you're making, you can't, like, you can't SSG an API, for instance. But if you've got a, a traditional CRUD application where there's something like create, read, update, delete, you can't do that statically. You can't put, you can't post, you can't delete. Hmm, there you go. Answered. <laughs> yeah. Bish, bash, bosh. <laughs> Just, that's the very simplistic view on it. There's there's more nuance to it than that. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure. And you can you can with the the dawn of with the dawn of SPAs, single page applications, you can load a massively fantastic React application in a in a single page 
and host it statically and do everything client side you can even like with things like firebase and you can kind of hand off your auth to somewhere else and kind of bodge it and you can almost get away with doing that kind of thing as well you'd have to have a, a better computer perhaps your computer speed would change the speed of the website i suppose yeah you're putting the performance burden on the client rather than the server so it's better to have if you're good doing that kind of thing have a really good server um, and do it server side um okay so i go to my command line i type in what i do is i go to where all my work is i type in pelican it goes and does its thing um i guess that that's the easy part (laughs) i suppose or the the less complicated part out the way isn't it because then it's getting all those html files onto the internet somewhere which for me was quite a big challenge um when i was first started but have you got uh, i'll talk about my experience in a minute i suppose but have you got any um what would you how would you go about doing it well there's lots of different options really there's um well what we're talking about is hosting basically these files even though even though you don't need a server to do anything you're not doing any work server side you are doing you these files need to exist so when someone log connects to the internet they need to be able to go somewhere and find those files so that needs to live on a machine that's connected to the internet which is a server even if it's in the cloud someone else's computer if it's not yours uh, i don't want to keep my computer on all the time so i don't host anything on my on my own computer but, but you could do that yeah. so if i had little raspberry pi or something that i knew was going to stay on all the time i could host things on there yeah i think lots of people run server cabinets in their own house yeah that used to, that certainly in the 90s that was the only way to do it really because commercial hosting options weren't really a, a thing yeah but then i suppose if someone on the other side of the world was trying to get your website i'd have to go all the way to your house to get it essentially yeah, so ideally what you want to do is you want to have your stuff in a content delivery network that has servers all over the world um, with cached versions of your site. Um, but that's like getting quite advanced. I mean, if you're targeting a specific demographic, like if you're a developer, you probably, like if you're writing stuff, you want it to work maybe in India, in um, the Americas, in Europe. Um, well, probably a lot. Of it. <laughs> yeah, I realize you know, that as I'm saying it. But all the continents you, of the yeah, world. <laughs> but like, uh, certainly, uh, like a UK business, I used to work with holiday letting stuff that's very UK focused, um, selling holidays to UK people to go on holiday in the UK. We had our we we hosted our stuff in the UK because it was quicker for people loading it. Yeah. But if someone like from a, New Zealand was trying to look at our website, it would be slightly slower for them. I guess maybe a better example is like the dry cleaners or something. Like their 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 demographics only going to be people within a certain distance of them. So. Yeah, something very localized. Yeah, um, but yeah, there there are lots of different like you can you can buy an actual machine that is co-located in a a, a data center somewhere, um, which is very expensive. You can kind of lease time on that, or you can do like the most popular thing is like just a virtual server. Virtual server is the th- is the term I think. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, like if you go onto Linode or DigitalOcean or somewhere, you're, it looks like you're, you log in and it looks like you've got access to a standalone machine, but really it's just like a container on, on a massive machine that has hundreds of them in. So that's why I've used a virtual server. I use one from Linode. Um, they've been great. Uh, I pay $5 a month, which ends up being £3 something or £4. I think it keeps going up. Um but that just means I have this, it's basically just a machine that I can go on my command line. I do something called SSHing. Um, do you know what that stands for? Secure shell access? Possibly, yeah, something like that. So I go in and basically I'm using the command line on that machine, metaphorically, I suppose. <laughs> um, so I am using that. And then from there, I use something called Apache, which is kind of a way of 
connecting my uh, this is testing my knowledge now uh, Apache, which is taking my files and kind of pumping them onto the internet. I think. Yeah. A... So, so other, <laughs> other other versions of this, sort of Nginx, there's there's various different ways of doing it. Yeah. It's easy to get bogged down in server maintenance then, which is no fun for anyone. I think so. Well, no. Some people love it. Ops people love it. I hate it. So I I like to use services where I just like connect my Git um re, re, Git repository, do a push to a specific branch, that then pulls that up and handles the hosting entirely by itself. I don't even have to worry about kind of servers or anything. Yeah, you've definitely got to have a certain type of temperament to uh, get all that stuff working. It did take me a long time, and I restarted the whole machine about three times because I messed everything up. <laughs> um, so it does involve a lot of Googling and a lot of time. But like once it's set up, I would suggest writing down what you've done when it works. So just write it down straight away because um, you will have to do it again 99% <laughs> of the time. Um, but yeah, once you kind of got used to it and got it all working, then I think that's fine. And personally, I learned so much from it, um, having to go through all that trauma uh, of <laughs> of getting it set up. Um, I learned more about like getting comfortable using SSH and um, using the command line and things like that. So there are benefits to that as well. Yeah, that's why I would always generally, for that kind of scenario, rec- recommend a service called DigitalOcean, which is does the same thing as Linode, I think, but their documentation is fantastic. It literally costs the same. I think it's like $5 a month I keep for my DigitalOcean droplet. Um, I've actually not got much running on it anymore because most things are now on Netlify or, or GitHub pages is the same kind of deal as Netlify. It's like GitHub will host static sites for you. Um, I think there's more limitations on like the build process and they're more opinionated on what you can host there. Um, but Netlify will just take almost anything. Like if you've got a Gatsby site, for instance, you can push that up there. Um, it like likes Jekyll sites. My Eleventy site is great. Anything that you can kind of trigger with an npm command uh, in your package, it will uh, it will do the building for you. That's another thing to to talk about is that the static site generators are taking your raw assets and running a process that then builds compiled assets that go to the server. Um, and those things you don't want to keep in your Git repository. You don't want to be tracking them because they're big compressed files, um, and there's the, the useful data is in the files that you edit. So keep your compiled assets out of your Git repo. But then that means, oh, if I'm pushing by a Git to my server, well, how do I get the compiled assets up there? The trick is you get your server or your your host rather to run the command that builds them itself, which is what Netlify does quite easily. Hmm. Well, I there are lots of different ways of doing it, and the way I do it is. I have two repos on GitHub, so I I push the those big compressed files to one of the repos, and then I go onto my Linode server and I pull that down, and that's just there, ready to go. So it's fairly simple, but it's still a little bit involved. Sounds a bit more involved than what you were talking about with Netlify. Do you have to? Is Netlify a free thing? It is certain tier. I think it's tiered, and there's very then there's a paywall for various. I'm, actually, I don't know. I've never, I've never encountered anything that I've needed to pay for because I just use it for fun side projects. I mean, the the question of code website is on there. That's how that works. That's a, mm. that's a, a, st- a statically generated site built using Gatsby because it's actually a React project behind the under the hood. Um, but we, when we add a new episode to the show notes, we're making we, all we have to do is write a Markdown file save that to our Git repository and push it to the right right branch. And then Netlify takes that, runs the build to compile the Gatsby site and puts it, puts it on the hosting for us. Yeah, so that makes that whole process really simple for us um, for the most part. Yeah, you talking about spending hours and hours setting up a server, I have done 
the same many many times um often it would get reach the point particularly with client projects where then the deployment itself would be like you'd have to like, put mark away mark aside a whole day just to get that to work uh on DigitalOcean, i've spent hours configuring various things but i mean the the deployment for the question of code website took maybe five minutes to set up you look like connecting the github account to netlify and then setting what my build script was and that was it hmm. so with these things it's great that you have such a wide variety of options for building a website you can pay lots of money and it's gets basically get someone else to do it for you um or you can kind of do every single thing yourself and even if you're doing it yourself it sounds like you can just you can do a fairly easy version of it or you can make it a little complicated if you want to learn some more of the ins and outs and have more of more control over it um which is what i like so doing it through netlify we were talking about seeing the server logs but i you don't have access to them is that right uh i probably could actually if i logged in i don't know oh okay i've never even never even needed them <laughs> oh, maybe you can, but it, it just you, works, TM. But uh, yeah, you 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 lose some things by doing by going with a service. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that you wouldn't necessarily have if you just did it all on the command line by yourself, essentially. So hopefully this has been informative. Um, if you're thinking about how you build a blog, um, remember go back to last, uh, episode 24 if you want some more things on about blogging. Um, why should you? Why should you do it? Um, but yeah, there's, we both use static site generators. We would suggest those, um, especially if you're a, de- a budding developer looking to get a job somewhere, um, whereas using the off-the-shelf things is fine, but maybe doesn't give you as many skills as you would get from hosting your own website. It also wouldn't give you as much uh, control over how you want it to look. Yeah, if all you want to do is write some stuff and get your message out, there's plenty of options for you. But as a developer, you probably want to hand tailor that process and make make it a real showcase of what you can do. They, everyone should just go medium, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, dev uh, dev dot two. It seems like a yes. really good much, place much better. to blog if you don't want to build a website at all and you just want to post some things. I would suggest going to dev dot two. T-O. And it's a it's a friendly environment and it has the kind of engagement rates that Medium had back in the day before it ballooned out of all control. Oh, good. Anything else you want to say? Oh, there's so much more. It's, it's a fantastic topic. I really wish we could talk about like the actual styling of like how do you lay out a blog, what are best practices and why you should be blogging, what you should be writing about. There's loads of stuff, but I think maybe we should save that for future episodes. Yeah, that sound, they sound like some interesting episodes as well. We'll do a series on blogging. <laughs> Space though, neither of us write many blog posts. <laughs> we know how to blog. <laughs> the elephant in the room is it's more fun to build a blog than it is to write and maintain a blog. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, thank you very much for listening. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at AQO Code. And you can find us online at aqoc.dev, um, where you'll find all our contact details and the ways to subscribe, which you should definitely do, and all the ways to you know, get in touch, which you should definitely do as well, because we love hearing from you. Um, but we will, in the meantime, we'll see you next time. Yeah, and if, you're, if you found this useful or you think you know someone who would find this useful, please let them know. Um, we really want to get this podcast out to as many people and budding developers as possible. Bye. Bye. Bye.